Okay. Yeah. Um, the song's dedicated to all you guys that are without a girl right now because, you know, it gets lonely. But it's cool in a way. You know, it's cool. We're, we're all single, too. Songs by MXBX. Well, he's a chick magnet if you know what I mean. Welcome back into the Lion's Den, season two, baby. It's good to be back. And for those of you that don't know, this is a podcast where I, your host, Brandon Ray, aim to shine light on any stories about the music scene here in the South. Hope to build a closer community with the music scene with where it was and where it is now in order to help bolster, strengthen, and unify the scene for the future. Thanks again for tuning in. This week's guest has been a long time coming. He's one of my best friends and one hell of a songwriter, Derek Dixon, formerly of way too many bands that we will talk about. We discuss his Christian youth group days, times where we wore women's skinny jeans, talk metal, and get all the way back to his roots in country and Americana music. Enjoy. Welcome into the Lions Den, Derek. I never thought Hello. I'd say that to you, considering, you know, we ran a music venue called the, the Lions Den. <laughs> right. But, you know, um, anyways, it's good to, to have you here, um, actually, you know, with me. So Yeah, it's been too long. Yeah, for sure. So, what I usually like to do, as you probably know, I like to kind of go back. Uh, what really got you started in, you know, in music? Like, what what was your upbringing like? Was like anyone in your family musical, or what really inspired you to pick up a guitar or to sing or do any of that? Uh, well, my my mother, she was uh, she sang a lot around the house growing up. She apparently was, you know, when she was younger, was in a quartet. So I, you know, kind of grew up hearing that. But at one point, she started dating a guy named Roy Simpson. That was uh, he was a guitar player, songwriter played the uh, organ as well. He'd had an electric organ at the house. So I, I kind of grew up around around hearing him play. Uh, he would play like old Hank Williams songs. And there was another, I can't remember the name of the the musician, but it was kind of like the, most of his, his uh, discography was about truck driving. So, you know, I got to hear a lot of those, those songs and hear him play organ and whatnot. And, um, and actually, you know, I heard a lot of stories from him about how, I guess he was, um, cousins with Loretta Lynn and he played in a country band back then and he used to play like open up for her and stuff so he was out on the road a lot so that was kind of you know I would say the first thing that really got me got me into wanting to play uh even then though I was kind of I wasn't I didn't have a guitar of my own other than like a like an electric battery powered you know guitar that you could press buttons on and make noises with um so most of it was just, you know, he would let me strum on his guitar while he would make the chords. And, uh, so yeah, I didn't really, didn't really pick up guitar until, you know, a lot longer down the road, probably close to like eighth grade, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I know a few projects that you've been in, uh, no, the first one you were in was, what was it? Beauty for Ashes was the first one you were in. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that kind of started, you know, we were all in middle school at the time and, you know, we had all like kind of, everyone had started talking about how they wanted to be in a band, right? So like we had like kind of, there were like two fake bands in middle school that were clashing with each other, right? Like and none of us actually even played anything at this point, but the band that, you know, I claimed to be in was called Crescendo 99, I think was the original name of it. And somehow it like progressed into like me and Cody Manning um, and a guy named Michael Niccolo. He was the original bass player, like actually starting to learn our instruments and starting to try to have band practices. You know, I remember having like one of the first band practices was in a, like a, like a, a garden shed out behind Cody's Cody's house. And we learned uh, the first song we ever learned was little things by good Charlotte. And we just played it like 50 times over and over again, just on repeat. We kept doing it over and over and then, of course, we like transitioned into learning some praise and worship songs, like some Reliant K covers, MXPX covers, um, things like that. And we just kind of kept kept rolling with it, you know, until, you know, we, we decided to, I guess, at one point 
I think the Crescendo 99 thing was never really like an official name. So we named the band Beauty for Ashes. We were, Michael moved, moved pretty far off. So we, we picked up a guy named Colton Bingham. He started playing bass with us. And, uh, we were like at a pretty young age, like 13, 14, all the way up to like 15. I think like it, it was about a three year stretch there where we, uh, you know, we were all in youth, we were all in different youth groups. So like Colton and Cody were in a youth group, me and, uh, or I was in a, a youth group and, um, both of our youth pastors at each church, at each church were in, you know, Christian rock bands like, uh, Brandon Hall was at Lamontville Baptist. He was in, uh, I think a band originally called after effect. Andrew Bettis was in that band. He played bass in that band. And then my youth leader, uh, Josh Gann was in a band, uh, called a hundredfold. So and that was like Nathan Presswood and John Knox, all those guys. So, you know, for some reason, these, you know, these youth pastors, you know, they, they took us under their wings. They, they just kind of, um, poured into us and encouraged us to do this. So I got to the point where like, you know, most of our shows were shows where we were like opening up for them, you know, a hundredfold was really, really supportive of us. They took us, took us out to play a ton of places, you know, Josh Gam, my youth youth pastor, was just all the time encouraging me to just continue singing, continue learning how to play, and just just really encouraging me to grow more and more as a musician. And you know, I mean, he was he was a guitar player, not a singer. So the fact that I would sing and play guitar just kind of like you know, he made it seem like it blew his mind, and that he just envied that. And and it was really cool to you know get that kind of uh, support and that up. You know, so it it was awesome, man. We both you know, all of us had, uh, influential, um, youth pastors who were in bands that kind of, kind of just took us along the, the ride with them, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that about that band and, uh, didn't know that so many of them were, you know, familiar names that I actually knew. Um, cause I know that, you know, you and Cody ended up doing a rainy day parade. Um, I don't know if Colton was in that as well. He was, yeah, he was? okay, yeah. So that was a, uh, that was a few years later, and I, I think, uh, I think you know we were we were young, and I you know I'd never really been a band leader before, so I was kind of like, you know, I, I think at the time, I was pretty bossy. I kind of had a direction that I wanted things to go, and like, I didn't really take no for an answer. So I, I kind of like created a little bit of division in that band early on. Not rainy day parade, but um, beauty for ashes. So. When that kind of started coming, uh, fizzling out, you know, they, they had started, you know, Cody, Cody was always a phenomenal songwriter and, um, he had this, like, I mean, I've never met anyone that can write songs like him. He can literally sit down he could probably write an album in an hour, you know, like it's just song after song. It just comes so naturally. And that was always something very difficult for me. So, you know, when Cody started writing this stuff for rainy day parade, you know, I guess, he at one point asked me to, to sing in it. So we kind of did that. And, you know, we were kind of moving away from like the, uh, Christian rock punk kind of style into more, I think more of our influences at that time were like, you know, synth driven, like Reggie and the full effect, uh, hello, goodbye, kind of stuff like that. So, um, you know, it just kind of turned into that. Although our recordings are mainly acoustic with absolutely no synth. and we danced around and we dressed up goofy, you know, it was right around the time Ranger Haney and the Science Cadets was around. So we did a lot of shows together. So it was always kind of a, you know, we always kind of tried to figure out how we can roll with the big dogs. Rainy Day Parade or Rainy Day Parade was not nearly as wild as Ranger Haney. So, you know, when you see guys like that and you're playing a show with them, you're like, okay, I'm probably going to have to, you know, throw my guitar 40 feet in the air at the end of this song and just let it, you know, fall down and crash in front of everyone, you know, <laughs> like whatever you got to do, you know, some chariot type shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, yeah, that was, it was a show we played at like Bradley high school earth day, I think was what it was. And, 
And that, I bought this like cheap, like $70 Johnson Les Paul. And Wait, was uh, that in 2007? Ugh, right. The years are, yeah, I'm not going to be able to tell you any years on this stuff. Cause you know? I think I booked whatever show that was. If Ranger Haney or Ranger Haney played it. I'm not sure if that was the year after or the year before the city of Rulia played it as well. Huh? Um, could have been that one. I just remember, you know, I busted Colton Bingham's head open with a guitar accidentally. Like I hit him in the head and he started bleeding everywhere and he was like kind of woozy. And then, you know, we threw the guitar like <laughs> at the end of the set, just threw the guitar in the air, and just let it like smash to the stage and just walked off stage. And we were not the kind of band that should have been doing that stuff, you know? <laughs> so like, we were kind of like this like pop kind of chill sort of band, you know? Um, and you know, we just went a little too hard that show and people got injured and things got broken, you know? So <laughs> that sounds like a fun show to me though. Oh yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so eventually you end up moving on from that and you start getting into heavier music and you get into this band called Novoli uh with Jacob Crouch. Um how did that how did that end up starting? Oh, uh, that was very short lived. I don't I don't even remember exactly what started that. I think they were already established. They were they were writing songs, they were wanting to start recording, you know, with Jeremy Webb. And I think they had Luke Hendershot as the drummer originally, which if you know Luke, you know he's an incredible freaking drummer. But he was younger back then, you know, and you know, he he had a way of pushing people's buttons, I guess, in some some cases. So I don't know what happened, but they got into it over something. And uh Matt Hill, the guitar player, was like, Hey, uh, do you play drums? I'm like, Well, you know, I've kind of filled in a little bit with the uh praise and worship team, you know which we need to circle back to that because that's kind of a big, big part of what I've done over the years, you know, but yeah, we, uh, we started to, uh, practice. Uh, they asked me to play drums. I wasn't a drummer at all, but I guess I kept enough of a beat to, to fill the songs that they were wanting to play. And so we kind of, I think we played just like one or two shows. It wasn't really a big deal, but of course that wasn't really anything that was significant. So, um, I think that's what branched into, uh, you know, me and Jacob continuing on. So we started a, a metal band after that called Round One Fight, which had, uh, you know, it was me, Jacob Crouch, Luke Hendershot, Mikey, and JP French. And uh, yeah, we were just, we were just trying to be heavy, you know, <laughs> I mean, at the time, you know, so like, just to kind of like pull it back a little bit throughout the time that I was in beauty for ashes and rainy day parade, you know, I'd also also kind of stepped into a, a praise and worship position at church. So I was leading worship there. Um, so there was, there was a lot of like, you know, I was really just deep into the, like the Christian rock music and the praise and worship. So, you know, I think I started going to, to some shows early on, um, just seeing bands like undone bell jar saints within Norma Jean, um, a band called the intrusive. I don't know if you, remember them that was probably the heaviest one out of the bunch but yeah i haven't heard of that one i'll have to see if i can find anything on them at some point and within uh nevertheless like as cities burn all these bands were playing you know nearby so like um some of the shows i even went to i don't even think i was old enough to to be at in some cases so there were some like bar shows i ended up going to maybe not necessarily with those bands but with some heavier bands and yeah i mean it just you know it always stood out to me how you know um just how powerful that that style of music was and how these people could just get up there and just like act a fool and just sling their guitars around and spit on the crowd and like, you know, punch the stage and knock speakers over and just like everyone loved it. And the energy was just so high, you know, and, uh, I just, I I don't know, something about that appealed to me. And it was of course the right around the same time that fuse was starting to become a thing. So you were seeing all these, you know, emo rock bands on there and like, uh, screamo bands and stuff that, that really, uh, you know, I mean, they just like, they looked like rock stars and you know, who didn't want to be that at the time. Right.
that was the one we were all like wearing skinny jeans. Everybody had like, you know, either some kind of piercing or tattoo um, as soon as they were able to get it. Yeah. I remember uh, the first time I actually met you was at a round one fight show. I was there watching um, my buddy Cody Cass play in his band uh, Autumn Rush. It was even before they had a singer. They were just like, they were just like uh, playing instrumentally, and it was over at uh, what was that place called? Um, uh, the Belfry. The Belfry. That was, was that. It. That was our first show, right? It might have been. I don't know. Do you remember? Um, you remember me knocking like speakers over on a bunch of girls? Uh, or- yeah, I think I faintly <laughs> remember that. But also, like, what happened because. What's really funny is Stop the Press is also played that night mm. before you guys. And um, Matt Smith, who ended up being in a band with you later on, and JP was also in that band too. Wow. I was actually super hungover, and I was in the bathroom throwing up while they were covering Under Oath Reinventing <laughs> Your Exit. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. what I remember of that. And oh, then yeah. I came out, and I saw two people I knew. I saw Caroline Elliott, and I saw... Brittany Perez. Okay. And I went to high school with them. So there were the only two people I knew in the crowd. So I was like, I'll just chill and hang out with them. But uh, I, I guess I kind of looked like a douche because like the last girlfriend I had in high school. Dude, you were straight Hollister. Yeah. She had me all dressed in Hollister. American you were raining Eagle. abs with your ponytail. Just like, what up, girl? Coming yep. up. <laughs> I saw and, you. Um, I saw you. Yeah. And you totally thought I was hitting on your girlfriend. I was just like, hey, like. Um, who are you here to see? Like, cause I, I didn't really know what to say to people. I really didn't talk too much in high school. The only connection we had is like, uh, we may have had some classes together and my stepbrother, like through most of high school, uh, that I had was friends with them cause they were all in band together. Yeah. So that was really about it. But in your mind, you just see this like preppy looking like long haired, pretty boy coming up to your girlfriend at the time. So yeah. you're just like, what the fuck? Man, I was a hot I was a hothead back then. I don't you know, there was a lot going on in my family life, so of course I, I just kinda it. I kinda had to act tough and be tough, you know, and so right. I, I mean we were teenagers, yeah, like, yeah. That's just what it was. Uh, you know, you know, a lot of my early stories were I uh, acted a fool and like, you know, punched someone or just did something stupid and had to yeah, had to just uh, find a way out of that crazy situation. I was a punk, dude, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I was a I little, mean, little punk. But what was funny, though, is like we ended up becoming friends after that show because we all ended up at like some house party that like the guys in Modern Rush were throwing, and somehow you guys ended up there, and I guess me yeah. and you somehow clicked, and then within like probably like six months or to, you know, to a year, uh, we ended up actually starting, you know, the namesake of this podcast, you know, the lion's den we were in that venue for a while yeah um and then you were also in a, you know had changed singers in your band um you know screamers i should say from jacob crouch to matt smith yeah. and rebranded and you know changed the band name to the seas of flame yeah um where you kind of like went a little further away from the christian aspect because matt smith you know was an atheist still is an atheist as far as i know it was kind of a funny dynamic because i was still writing christian lyrics in a lot of lot in a lot of songs and um you know there were some some songs were like the lyrics had already been written and he was you know screaming them so i I don't think initially i knew he was an atheist but um, right i think it kind of you know it kind of got brought up at one point and i I was like you know what i mean as, as long as there's some sort of positive message and i think you know we're not doing any harm to anyone. I don't see any issue with it. Of course, like back then, you know, I was a lot more like stick to my guns with the the Christian stuff, you know? So like, I, th- I think uh, I, I was a little judgmental about that stuff. I've, I've come a long way, you know? <laughs> right. We all have. And yeah. I think uh, a lot of people, you know, in the, in the music scene uh, around here, you know, definitely grew up in a lot of like traditional legalistic, you know, church based, like, environments and um whether it was through their homes their schools or if they actually went to a church or whatever and then also there's a lot of that in the music scene around here anyways yeah that was kind of hard to avoid yeah definitely definitely and you know like just over the years like seeing you seeing some of my songs some of the lyrics you know you can tell there was a little bit of uh you know a lot of questioning a lot of uh trying to figure out where i stand with a lot of things you know but I, i mean i think ultimately like I ended up in a good place. I think it's okay to explore your beliefs and 
deconstruct a little bit and, and try to figure out why you believe what you believe. I don't think there's any harm in that, you know, but, right. but yeah, agree. but I mean, uh, but yeah, back to what, you know, the, the lion's den. Yeah. So, and we, uh, that was, you know, right around when the seas of flame was like really taken off. We were playing a lot of shows. I mean, just a ton of shows. It felt like, it felt like some weekends there were like four shows or, you know, in one weekend, right. Uh, just constant gigging. And, uh, and yeah. And the meanwhile, you know, we're at Cleveland state, um, smoking a cigarette, I think in the gazebo. And I just kind of like, how did that go down? I was just kind of like, Hey, do you want to, you want to start a music venue and live in the back of it? Yep. And (laughs) I was like, who uh, says yes to that? Yeah. (laughs) Apparently I did. Yeah, you did. (laughs) I I did. So yeah, we did that and we did that for a few months. Um, eventually, uh, realized that my grades were tanking. You dropped out and um, you wanted to get more serious for, with your relationship yeah. and focus more on your band, um, which you again ended up changing screamers uh, from Matt Smith to Andy Wise at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think both, both screamers were really good dynamics, you know, like they, I think with, with Matt um, things were going really well. Uh, you know, we were, we were playing a lot. Um, just uh, pouring our heart out, you know, and I think, I think there was a point where, you know, I think some of us just didn't start, didn't continue taking it as seriously. Like it was work to a lot of us. Like it felt like a, like some of us were focused, really focused on it. Like to the point where like, we wanted to make it our career, you know, like I think, I think my mentality was there. Um, you know, I bought a van, bought a trailer. We were playing a lot. Um, I was talking to some booking agencies, setting up, you know, working on setting up some tours, like just all the time. I mean, it was back in the day when my, you could get on MySpace for an hour and, you know, wait a couple days and then come back to 20 messages from places you could gig at, you know? Definitely. Like, Those were definitely some um, easy days to book for sure. What was that other site? Like Indie on the Go or Indie Go? It wasn't Indie Go Go. That's a, a fun campaign yeah. right uh was campaign it fun musicians something i don't remember it was a couple resources yeah, their volume was one i think you could message on there um yeah it's just a lot easier to say hey like uh you know we want to come to alabama in a week you know like right cool with that like can we get on as an opener and you know something I that's like the primarily how we booked a lot of shows but i mean i think like i think at that point we were we were wanting to take it to the next level, but we kind of get got to a point where there wasn't really a next logical step other than touring. And we didn't have the funds for that. We didn't have uh, the support for that financially, you know, from, from parents or family members or whatever, you know, so or your jobs or our jobs, you know, and like, and you know me, like I have to have some sort of sense of security. And um, so I've never been one to just say, Hey, I'm going to just like leave everything and go try this, you know? So right. I think in a way it's held me back uh, from a lot of opportunities, but you know, I mean, I almost feel like there were some points where we felt like a full-time band just because of the volume of shows we were playing. So, I mean, it's still, you know, we still put a lot of work in and, you know, a lot to be really proud of, I think, but, um, yeah. And then at, you know, at one point, you know, just things, uh, you know, something, I don't remember exactly what happened, but it's hard to, it's hard to, I think, I think sometimes in my mind with band breakups or member changes, you kind of just like lock that stuff away, you know? So you don't really know. I can't really give you all the details of what happened, but something happened and we started, you know, looking into a new vocalist. Uh, Andy Wise came along and yeah, we just started going in a lot heavier direction, which was, uh, you know, and and that was something that I kind of saw slipping away because I I liked that first, you know, that first EP where there was a lot, it was a good mix of singing and screaming. Um, that was kind of the direction I wanted the band to be initially, but it it kept getting heavier and heavier, less singing, less singing, you know? Um, and then at some point it was just kind of almost unrecognizable from where it started, you know? the whole time it was fun we were all a great group of friends um we had a big passion for it and uh you know just playing with those guys like mikey luke jp um 
all of them, you know, musically, they were the instrumentalists. So they just like, they really uh, stretched me to my limits at that point. You know, like looking back on some of that stuff, I'm like, how did I play that? You know, I can't even begin to remember any of it or start the process to getting back to playing some of that stuff, you know, because it's been so long. But uh, they always just challenged me to, I felt like I really had to fight to keep up with those guys, you know. Well, it definitely didn't look like you were struggling with it at all. And then, like, also your vocals, like your melodies, and like, and then also, like, whenever you and Luke would do harmonies together, um, all that stuff really clicked really well. And regardless of what you said in the past, like, about not being sure about like your lyric writing, I've always found your lyrics to be pretty profound, even like in the early Seas of Flame stuff, like, you know, that first CP. Speaking volumes, it. and then the, of course, especially with canines, that was a, a big one. Um, whenever you guys started that up, um, when the Seas of Flame ended, um, I know that was you, um, JP, Luke. I think wasn't Drake Farmer in there for a for a while? Yeah, Drake Farmer. Um, Mikey was in it for a little while. Doug Jensen was on bass before Mikey stepped up. So yeah, we were all. That was a cool band, man. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I, I just now thought. There. I just now thought. You know, when I was a, uh, we were talking initially about about you know the the Christian rock phase and the people who were influential during that. I did not give a shout out to Bob Z, my man Bob Z, and dude, that was the guy that was really like pulling strings in the background that was like getting me started in a lot of this. He was constantly bringing me CDs and mixtapes of these like very early Tooth and Nail bands and like some of the Christian rock bands in the beginning. And, uh, even got me started booking. So like some of the first shows I ever booked were, you know, uh, under the supervision of Bob Z, you know, I think we booked within at one point, I think J Roddy, uh, Walston, that was, fun, that, yeah, I think so like stuff like that, man, you know, uh, he was, he was really big into it, but yeah, sorry. That just, that just came to my mind and I was like, oh, I yeah, gotta say sure. it. but canines, um, canines was a cool band, man. That was a, that was a fun one. I think, uh. We were really, really influenced by like my epic, uh, Oh Brother, Thrice. At the time, you know, there's always been a constant with like, you know, Casey Whitaker's bands influencing some of the bands I've been in. Uh, Within was a huge influence. I mean, hell, you have his lyrics tattooed on your arm. Right, right. And then Feed the Lions. Yeah, Feed the Lions was real big around that time. So, yeah, yeah, I could definitely see where that influence came from. And you guys even played a show with my epic. I was there. I remember that show. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. I, I think that was like I think I lost my voice that show or something. I couldn't sing, so we just played. Was that the instrumental show or no? No, you were able to sing. Cause, oh, okay, uh, good. Because I I went up and I did my guest spot that uh, that day because uh, yeah, oh yeah, Je- did Jess Flack play that too? Didn't she sing? I don't know if she was there. Yeah, I think she might have been. Oh, that was cool. That was yeah, real cool, yeah. man. Yeah. So there was that, and then I know that started dwindling down some because JP and Luke started getting really heavy into the band Amity, which, you know, I've interviewed Jason and JP about already, which kind of ended up leading to canines fizzling out. I think, I think that was part of it. I think there was another, um, another thing that was going on in the background, which was, you know, I think, I think most of the guys were, it was enough that we, we keep getting these points in bands that we had been in, in the past where like, we want to, we want to keep growing with it, but, um, there's just not a good way to do that. Right. Without, just picking up and leaving and going. right. Yeah, that's right. They want yeah. the tour and you were like, um, well we don't really have any sustainability. Yeah. That was that. my fear, man. Like, cause I mean, you know, I mean, I, I came from a poor upbringing, like everything that I had, I had to work hard for. And like, and I was, I just knew that like, as soon as that failed, you know, there was always a fear of failure there for sure. But I knew as soon as it failed, I had nothing to fall back on and I just had to come back and rebuild, you know? So right. it wasn't like, I just couldn't ever get to the point where I was like, okay, it's worth it, you know, which yeah. is unfortunate, but I think it's also wise in a way, in some ways, you know, like you, you got to be set up for that if you're going to do it, you know, in some way. Right. For sure. And I, I think honestly, like it's always a risk. Um, I think every artist or band takes a huge risk if they ever decide to do music full time. And I think you guys could have done it. I really do. Um, whether it was with the seas of flame or whether it was with, um, uh, canines uh, especially canines was even more marketable because there was a lot more melody you know a lot you know a lot less screaming not that screaming isn't marketable but you have a wider audience there 
Yeah, I can see that. I definitely can see and, that. And um, like I, I also felt like the songs were. Um, JP said it best. He was like, you know, I, he said I went back and listened to those songs, you know, the other day, and Derek's a hell of a songwriter. I heard that, man. I heard that, and that meant so much coming from him. You know, like we don't, we don't talk as much. Uh, we don't talk really hardly at all. But that's and that sucks because I, I do miss that dude. But yeah, just hearing him say that because yeah, he's 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 always the one that I was like looking up to and the way he wrote and the way he came up with ideas and um, so I, I think that's pretty incredible to hear from him for sure. Yeah, definitely. And like, like you never know the kind of influence that or like. Or the kind of meaning that someone's words um, can have on you. Like, for me, it was like hearing from Casey Whitaker, like, I love your lyrics. I love your voice. Yeah. I think you need to go on tour. That was that was like a thing that was big for me. Yeah. Or like hearing you, like, when I'm in the studio tracking vocals, like, man, your voice has gotten so much better over the years. Like, you're, oh, yeah. Like, shit like that. Like, that shit sticks with you. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was the kind of feedback I was getting from, like, you know, my youth pastor early on and people like Bob Z, they were just so encouraging and are probably the main reason that, you know, I kept doing this for so long, you know, I mean, like that's that initial, that it just takes one good uh, pep talk to kind of, kind of keep you in the game, you know? Right. Yeah. Having, uh, having those words of affirmation from people about like your art is, you know, and that support is always important. Um, especially if it's from people that, you respect their opinions of like, it's one thing if you have just, you know, some fans or whatever, th- those are, those are good. And those are really important to have too. But when you have people that you respect and look up to and admire and uh, value their opinion, oh, yeah. and they give you that thumbs up and whatever way that they do it, then you're just like, hell yeah. Like you're oh, ready yeah. to go. Yeah. And I mean, and that kind of bled over into, you know, my later years, you know, just going to shows where they were, you know, like bands playing like with, with people who, used to admire my bands early on, you know, just giving them some words of affirmation. I think that that, that could mean a lot to them. You know, it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not like a famous musician or a rock star, but at some point you've respected me and admired my music. And so I feel like I don't feel obligated, but, um, I feel, I feel like it's, it's good to, to just, uh, affirm people for what they're doing. Cause I mean, really when you're on stage, when you're singing, when you're playing guitar in front of someone, when you're doing any, any form of creative art, you're, I mean, you're just being extremely vulnerable with everyone and it's a real difficult position to be in. And it's especially a real difficult position to be in when you're not getting any encouragement or any feedback, uh, positive feedback at all, you know, like you start to beat yourself up. So I I try, I've tried over the years to make a point to you know, give credit where credit is due and just like encourage these upcoming up and coming musicians, you know, Definitely. And, um, I know that you took, you know, a good, a good hiatus from music for a few years Mm -hmm. and it took you a while to get back into it, but eventually you took a hard turn and, uh, you, um, you kind of went back to your roots, like the roots that I never really knew that you had, but well, you should have known I should have, but I didn't. I mean, how many times did I get drunk and sing a Garth Brooks song? You know, that's true. (laughs) I should, I, the, the the signs were there, but I was probably too drunk to notice. Like so, but yeah, the, you the eventually campfire started, song was skydiving by Tim McGraw, right? For <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, but eventually you start playing country music, and you yeah. end up uh, in this band, The Long Haul. Um, how did how did you get hooked up with those people? Well, that was interesting, man. You know, I, I think initially, so like I had this this idea that you know, I at this point, I've I, you know, I've kind of get you know. I know there's still some people that I've, I've grown up playing music around or that are still like wanting to make this happen. You know, they're wanting to make it a full-time thing. They're wanting to, to get somewhere with it. And that's cool. But I think I finally like got to the point where I'm like, this is not going to happen for me, you know? So, and I know that sounds crappy, but, um, I think I kind of came to terms with that. So originally I was just wanting to start a country cover band. Like that was it. Like I just wanted to play bars and sing country covers and get tipped and have fun and, you know, just, just do that. That's a kind of, and that's kind of where I'm like leaning towards now as well. Now that that's ended, you know, I think that's still like the next logical step for me is just to, just to play in a cover band or something, play in a bar band, you know, but yeah. So it started, it started as that. I think, uh, you know, me and 
I think originally Jared G tried out on guitar that we, we maybe played together like two practices or so. We had a guy that was, that was filling in on drums, uh, named Jamie Sneed. And, um, he, he was like, Hey, you know, I know this girl that sings country. She can sing some good harmonies. And, uh, we, uh, we kind of hooked up with her. Her name was Savannah Roberts. And, you know, me and her really clicked. We were singing, uh, some great harmonies together. It was just the exact dynamic that I pictured, you know, would be there in a country band. Cause I've always like, I've always loved the, the male, female harmony dynamic, you know? So, Oh yeah. Um, and, and yeah, our voices just meshed really well. So we started writing songs together, surprisingly, which was not what I originally intended, but, um, it kind of clicked, you know, we switched drummers. We ended up with Jonah Webb on drums. Um, Joel Beaver played guitar with us quite a bit, but yeah, we started, we started playing a lot of shows, man. Um, and it was really cool. It was really like a breath of fresh air. Cause it's, it was the first project that I had been in where there was more of a shared load with booking, you know, and promoting, um, Savannah really just like took that and just ran with it. And it was, it was phenomenal. Cause I was like, you know, I just got to show up to band practice. I got to show up to these shows and play, but I'm not like the guy that's, messaging everyone, you know, determining what the guarantee is going to be, making sure we're getting paid, you know. I just didn't deal with that aspect of it, you know. She she took it and ran with it, man. She got a logo made, got cards made, t-shirts made, booked all the shows. So that was cool, you know. But yeah, I mean, we played a lot of shows. We we ended up winning uh a contest. It was like called Cleveland Star Maker, so we got some recording time. Uh we recorded with Cody Cash and Matt Flowers and put out an EP. We got played on a couple radio stations, had a few press releases. It was, it was pretty cool, you know. Yeah, so we we kept playing for a little while, and uh, really, I think, you know, there was a part of me the whole time that was kind of like, you know, like if I wasn't doing a country cover band, I really wanted to do like an Americana kind of singer songwriter style. A lot of the bands that were influencing me at the time and still are, you know, guys like Jason Isbell, Tyler Childers. Um, some bluegrass musicians like the old Steel Driver stuff. David Ramirez, he was a big, big one. Uh, Who's that other guy? He had that song called Cigarettes. I can't Noah Gunderson, yeah. Noah Gunderson. Yeah, he was, was a big one. one. So, I mean, I was kind of like into all that stuff. That was that was what was really like that I would prefer to be doing if I wasn't doing a country cover band. And this somehow leaned into more. We were doing some covers, quite a bit of covers, but we were writing. And when we were writing, I would be on this like side of like Americana and she would be on this side of commercial country kind of, you know, like what's that Miranda Lambert kind of style, you know, that, yeah. What's that song? Like the first thing that popped into my mind was like that gunpowder, gunpowder and lead, you know, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Um, But yeah, no. So I, um, yeah, I just, we just weren't vibing in that sense. Like the songs that we were putting out were just, there was clear division there, you know, Um, so yeah, that, that kind of fizzled out. We kind of parted ways and, uh, Jono moved to Montana. Uh, I think at the time it was Montana. He was, uh, working at Yellowstone under canvas. So he was gone. And, you know, I mean, from there, me and Joel have played a few solo shows together and, uh, I filled in a few times, uh, at pokies with, with his band, uh, uh, convertible. They're like a, a party cover band, but there's been a few times where he he called me up and say, Hey, you know, come play some country and I'd go play a cover set, which that's pretty cool. Cause they're all just, you know, they're studio musicians. They're, they're guys that like you say, Hey, this is in the key of G and play the first chord and they play the whole song with you and you don't even have to rehearse, you know? So, um, that's always a treat to get to do that. But yeah. So, I mean, that's basically where I'm at now. I mean, uh, not really playing much anymore. I'm not really doing too much musically, but I have started recording again and working with a studio out in Canton, Georgia, where, you know, um, I, I write the song, I send the song idea to them. Um, they've got some session players down there. They'll record the tracks and them back to me. And then I, 
you know, put the vocals on them and release them, you know? So that's, that's kind of, man. Yeah. It's kind of where I'm at now and it seems a lot easier. Right. <laughs> and, um, and like, you know, and now, you know, you're, you're married, you've got two kids, you know, um, mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate to be the godfather of their wonderful kids. They and, are. And, and I have and, a wonderful um, wife. She's so cool. Oh yeah, for sure. She supports Definitely. everything I, I do. You know, I mean, it's, she's always been my number one fan since, uh, since I met her. So it's phenomenal. Exactly. And that's, um, I've always been very supportive of that and happy for you. Um, you know, that everything turned out the way it did for you, like whether it was your career, your marriage, you know, your kids and, um, and I've always also been, you know, a fan of your music and just also, you know, you've been one of my best friends for what, oh, yeah. like 13 years now, 13 like, years. It's been a long it's, time. It's been a hot minute, uh, you know, going on 14 years, you know, if our, uh, friendship was a, a kid, they'd be almost old enough to get a driving permit, <laughs> but you know, oh, yeah. um, but yeah, you ended up putting out another song, but you put it out solo this time. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was about your son. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I wrote this song about him and, uh, you know, I always, always wanted him to have something that he could look back on one day and just be like, you know, my dad did this for me, you know? So like, I, I felt like it was, you know, the, a good starter. It was definitely the, the one I wanted to get down, uh, the quickest. I've got a kind of a small catalog of songs that I've not played for people. I mean, heck there's some that even my wife's not heard, you know, so I've got some stuff brewing, um, got all these ideas. So that kind of, you know, when that track came back and just hearing how great the recording turned out, you know, it just kind of, I don't want to say it lit a fire under me cause I'm still kind of procrastinating with a lot of stuff. I've got another track I, I recorded. I haven't put out yet. I mean, you also work hellish hours. I like, do. I do. And you have a family. So like, I mean, you're juggling a lot, but also like still being able to put out music is still like, <coughs> that's still something, even if you're not able to put it out, like, consistently like you're still putting it out yeah i'm still i'm still out there swinging a little bit you know i I think uh you know i think i I think that the real big thing that was making me hesitant now is like you know everything's changed so much from the days when i was putting music out consistently you know like you would get on reverb nation or pure volume and just upload these tracks or even on facebook and my or myspace not facebook but myspace and it was just so easy to get your music out there. It wasn't a hassle. But now, like, I mean, the first time I released a song solo, you know, I got it on Spotify. I got it on Amazon Music and iTunes. And it linked to a rap artist up north named Derek Dixon. So so it was it was pretty hilarious because you would uh, you would uh, you would scroll through like you would play my song. And then the next song that would play would be like, get get more money by Derek Dixon, you know, and it's it's clearly not me, you know. But they they just like shoved this Americana heartfelt song about this you know this this dude's kid into this rap <laughs> rap CD like <laughs> you know so it's just yeah so that took some some time to get cleared up and I still don't know that it's all the way cleared up but um, so yeah it made it difficult it made me really hesitant to try to do it again I'm just like man I got to make sure I do it right next time I don't want to mess everything up so well um, yeah next time I guess you'll know. Um, well, at the time I only knew of TuneCore, but then, um, through our mutual friend, uh, Corey Pettit, who's in fault mm. lines, we found out that distro kid was, uh, definitely the better yeah. way to go. Did you reach out to him too? I did. Yeah. I did. So I'm eventually, uh, going to have him on. I actually, uh, re-uploaded all my old band stuff on. Yeah. I was talking about like with the uploading music, I was like, man, this is the, the heavy hitter in the music scene that really knows how to do this stuff now. So I need to. I need to hit him up because he could yeah, probably teach me a thing kid, or two. Distro Kid works really well. Uh, you just pay like for like, you can pay like a yearly subscription to it, or you can like, you can also pay like a fee to like, if you, even if your subscription uh, expires, yeah, that you can uh, solidify it in, um, in, in all those uh, different libraries forever. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a bu- bunch of different things you can do with it. Um, you can also like keep track of like, all your plays and like while well, your payouts are if you get enough streams which of course streaming you know is pennies you know not even a penny for a stream oh, yeah. like half a penny or some shit like that it's pretty awful but yeah um but you know you're not really in it right now for the money you're really in it to put your art out there to to have that outlet still oh and, yeah and um and i think that's a part that will always stay with you 
no matter what you do in your life, uh, no matter how old you get, I think you're always going to have some sort of creative force behind you. And yeah. I think that's wonderful, regardless if it's, you know, country music or you end up, you know, doing, you know, anything else or back in the metal or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I don't, you know, whatever you do, I think you do it well. I appreciate that. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm not just like constantly playing, you know, country music. I'll still like, you know, um, noodle around on the guitar and write an emo lick every now and then, you know, like actually just last night I sent one out to a buddy of mine, uh, who's really big into emo. We're going to go see death cab for cutie together at shaky knees. And nice. so I've been listening to a lot of, a lot of death cab recently. So, you know, there's still, there's still a little bit of that in me, you know? So, um, yeah, and all it takes is, you know, getting a, getting a nice little effects processor and electric guitar and starting to play around. to almost make you want to play emo music again, you know, <laughs> for sure. I mean, um, and like, who's who's to say that you can't put out both? Like, you know, you could. Yeah. Like, well, I well, mean, I mean, I really got to work on my shows. rap career first, you know, because I've already got that that whole CD out. You know? <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, for sure. I mean, let's see. So like, there's that um, that you've been doing for quite a while uh, now. You know, just very spaciously, just putting out music, and uh, but you know, and then also. Uh, keeping a lot of it close to your chest, you know. I know you have written songs privately for like your wife and like your sister and oh, yeah. you know, stuff like that that you haven't really released or recorded or um, stuff like that. And you've done some covers that you've recorded. Um, a lot of people see those on Facebook, and um, you do a hell of a job with those too. I appreciate it. And um, but out of it, I know that you you've got such a wide catalog. Like like I told JP, and like I've told a couple other people, like. I would say out of your out of your whole catalog, what would you say your two best songs are that you're most proud of, whether it be instrumentally or vocally or lyrically or whatever? What would mm. be, be the the two top songs that you would pick? Man, that's a tough call. Um, so I would say the one that like I, I revisited quite a bit in the Seas of Flame era was a. Uh, is it speaking volumes? Is yeah, that, that's a song. Yeah, that was, that was the last track. On <laughs> yeah, the... yeah, that was a cool song. I really liked that song. Um, I like the dynamics of that song. I liked where we were headed with that. So, I think that one was the one I was most proud of off that album. I mean, ah, this is tough, man. I really love Dust to Dust on the Canines EP, and uh, we'll do the three if you need to. For <laughs> well, pick um, one more. Go for it. Well, I mean, I I just I'm excited to to release this new song um, that I'm I'm gonna put out called Changes. So I mean, maybe we could, um, you know, just let let the first uh, listen take place here if you want. All right, that'll work. So, um, all right. Well, I really appreciate you uh, coming over and uh, doing this with me and taking the time out of your evening to do this. I know it's uh, been a long time coming. I've actually had a folder on my computer for months titled Derek Dixon. <laughs> you knew you would get me because eventually. I was like, I knew I would eventually talk you into it. I, I um, just, I, I don't know, man. I was so worried. I was like, I sound like an idiot when I talk, you know, no, nah, um, but not. I mean, you know, this little sip of scotch definitely helped out, you know, <laughs> monkey shoulder, right? For sure. Good Shout stuff. Out to monkey shoulder. Good uh, shit. So yeah, it kind of, kind of, you know, mellowed you out, mellowed a me bit. out. Yeah, for sure. But you did a hell of a job, man. And, um, keep doing what you're doing. And, um, Everybody just keep looking out for music from Derek Dixon. He's doing things still. Appreciate it. All right. Take it easy, brother. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. And that was my conversation with Derek Dixon. I hope you all enjoyed it. Sorry for the long absence, but I assure you there is much more coming. Please enjoy these uh, next few songs that are going to be playing, all ranging from genre from Derek Dixon. Again, hell of a songwriter. Enjoy and see you next week.
Yeah. 